I get to play now. Ooh, I've been looking forward to today and dreading today all week. Thank you, brother. Got a whole bunch of stuff to stay on the front end. Let me just encapsulate that and then dive right into the meat of everything. Satan has a way of attacking a fellowship, and the way he does it is through the fellowship. Something happens in the body of the church, and people start fighting with each other, and that's the way Satan likes to work. His modus operandi is to get us acting and looking like the world, so that he can go into the world and say, see, these Christians are no different from yourself. Their Christ is a myth. They are nothing but a bigoted, angry, hate-filled bunch of hypocrites who wish it was 1950. Why in the world would you want to join up with such an unenlightened bunch of people? And that's what happens. And things start moving, and things start going on, and people start getting their feelings hurt. And i got to tell you, I'm a pastor, and I'm supposed to be all that, I know. But I got my feelings hurt. I let myself, and listen to my words, I let myself get get my feelings hurt. And I'm telling you, this last Wednesday was the most brutal day I've had in years. And some of you will say, well, I know what happened Wednesday night. Listen, you don't even have a clue. My whole day started at 11 o'clock dealing with something that was totally unexpected and was a tragedy in somebody's life. And I had tragedies all day long. When I went home, I felt sorry for myself. I had a pity party. And from Wednesday night until Friday morning, I sat and I said, oh, woe is me. Poor Randy's a pastor has to put up with all of this. Every word he says gets parsed 15,000 ways. If he gets angry, it's a sin. Oh, Lord, help me how horrible my life is. And I was sitting there. I don't use God talk much, saying that God spoke to me or God did this or God did that. I, I worry about people that do all that, that all the time. I don't particularly trust them. I feel like sometimes they're trying to manipulate me. But God put a thought in my mind. And he said to me, Randy, why are you focusing on that? What are you supposed to be looking at, boy? Starting last Sunday night... You know, we've been going through Ephesians, and we're supposed to be in Ephesians this morning. That's my sermon plan. And we're getting into that practical part of Ephesians that talks about how you're supposed to live based on who you are in Christ and all of that kind of stuff. But starting last Sunday night, Philippians 3 kept going through my mind over and over and over again. And it wouldn't let go. And whenever that happens, that's telling me that, Randy, this is your scripture for Sunday morning. This is what you've got to preach on. Philippians 3, Friday morning, the Holy Spirit had a one-sided conversation with me, and he reminded me of three things. 
And he said, Randy, this is what you need to remember, and this is what the church needs to remember. Preach it, go home, and have your roast beef and gravy. And that's what I'm going to do. The first point comes to the book of Revelation. You don't have to turn there. You can listen to it. Comes to the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not written, found written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I have heard a million times, and I've said it myself, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Sometimes I'm going to do the wrong thing, and it's all covered. I don't have to worry about it. I'm never going to be judged for my actions. I'm never going to be judged for what I say and what I do. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's Satan's lie. Do you know that? Because see, in Romans, six, Romans chapter 2, verse 6, the Scripture says, He will repay each one according to his works. Now, we want to say that what that means is, is he's talking about works righteousness, and he's telling us that we can't work our way into heaven. That's not what Paul's talking about there at all. What Paul is saying here is that each and every one of us will be judged. Each and every one of us are going to stand before Jesus at the end of time at the great white throne, and we're going to give an account of everything that we've said and that we've done. I don't know if you remember or not, I hope you do, that, that, that my preaching was just so phenomenal that day that this has stuck in your mind ever since then. But we talked about the fact that once you were saved, that before time began, before the beginning, before anything that was, was, God had already thought about you, already knew you had a, needed a Savior, already worked it out so that you would have a Savior, that he already knew what Jesus was going to have to do. And the Scripture says that he planned for you to be saved and for you to have good works assigned particularly for you to do. Do you understand what I'm saying here? You didn't get saved just to be saved. You were saved and God planned before the beginning of time, before anything was created, He planned a plan for your life and this is what you're supposed to do. Now let me help you understand something here. Do you think that the Master is going to give us a plan and then He's never going to come back and check up on us? Do you think we get to heaven and he'll say, well, you know, eh. you know the, the, the scariest words for me at AT&T? The scariest words, and maybe they were scary words in your job. The scariest words for me are these words. Help me understand. You ever have that? The phone rings, you pick it up, it's your boss. And your boss says, you know what happened yesterday, right? Yes, sir. Help me understand why you did that. You, you, you've never had that. I've had it a couple of times. Your, your body runs cold. There's going to be an accounting. 
we will all stand before the judgment, not for our salvation. Remember that John says that those whose names are not written in the book of life will be cast into eternal life, into eternal punishment. Your, your name's written in the book of life. If you're a child of God, born again, saved, baptized, Jesus is Lord person, your name's written in the book. You don't have to worry about that part of the judgment. And we want to focus on that one book. But John said in verse 12, I also, I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Plural books were opened. And another book, which was the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Now here's why this is important. We will all, saved and unsaved, we will all stand before God one day and give an account of ourselves. The principal is going to call you to the office. The teacher is going to come back in the room. The boss is going to come back from vacation. The score will be settled. Each one of us will judge according to our works. There's a gentleman in a, in a church that I used to attend that was a miserable human being. He was annoying, he was aggravating, and he was mean. And everybody dismissed him by saying, Oh, you know, that's just old so-and-so. That's how he's been all of his life. One day, old so-and-so is going to stand before Jesus and give an account for every kind thing he did and for every mean thing he did. And people can't stand up and say, That's just old so-and-so because it'll be just him and Jesus. There won't be anybody else. And Jesus is going to look at him and say, Help me understand. Now, oh, Randy, you're just telling them what's going to happen. Listen, you're going to be judged with a judgment. My judgment is going to be more intense than yours. Don't believe me? Go to the book of James and read what he says, that all ministers and teachers are going to be held to a higher standard than everybody else. The master is going to put me in a different line. I won't be standing with you. This is in Randy's mind. There'll be different cues. One for doctors and nurses, one for teachers maybe. And there'll be a little short preacher line over here. And in that preacher line, he's going to ask me, Randy, did you do this according to my plan? Did you rightly convey the message? Did you represent me well? Did you act like I act? Did you love the people like I love the people? Randy, what did you do? And I don't know about you, but that scares me to stand before him knowing who I am. And you might want to or, or, argue at that point, well, Randy, perfect love casts out fear. Yeah, fear of everything except one thing. Perfect love does not cast out the fear of the Lord. Proverbs, what is it? I wrote it down because I wouldn't remember. 9.10, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of holy is understanding. we got to understand something. God's not an American. Jesus is not an American. They don't belong of this earth. 
We stand up as Americans and we say that I have a right to say what I want and go where I want to go and do what I want to do. And as Americans, you have that right. But one day you're going to stand before somebody who is not an American and he's going to say, you are my child and you said this. You are my child and you treated them this way. You were my child, and you did this. Oh, but I was an American. I don't care what you were. You were a Christian. We need to think hard each and every day about what we say and what we do and even how we place those things into words. Not on the basis of what you think or I think, but on the basis of what the King of Kings and Lord of Lords thinks because he is going to judge us, each and every one of us. And Lord, I I, I know that don't preach. That's not what you want to hear. Turn on television. I don't know that I have heard a pastor on television preach that sermon in a billion years. But it's in the scripture just as big as life. I'm going to be judged by Jesus one day. I will be held to account. He will tell me I did good, and he will say, Randy, help me understand. Point number two, I was reminded of the principle behind our ministry. I've said this to you before, we cannot forget this. If we forget this, we need to change this to a country club and install a swimming pool and a golf course. Otherwise, this is it. And it's John 12, 32. John 12, 32 says, As for me, Jesus is speaking, If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. If I am so busy sitting at home, licking my wounds thinking about how hard my little pitiful life is, I don't have my eyes focused in the right place. My eyes are to be focused on raising Jesus up. If we are so focused on everything else in the world, then we have no time to focus on Him. We can argue every argument that we want, but that argument fails. Our eyes are on Jesus, lifting Jesus up so He can be praised. That's what we're about. Now, I wrote this little part here on Friday morning, but I was watching a ball game last night, and I thought it was pretty neat that the announcer, that the announcer preached my sermon for me. It was the Braves game. And the Braves were up to bat, and as usual, they were trailing by one little pathetic, silly little run. They don't seem to know how to get that last run across. I don't know what their problem is, but they're fired. We went up, y'all know, those of you who are on Facebook, know that we went up there the other night, ninth inning, two men on base, and what do they do? Long fly into his glove. Good grief. Anyway, Braves are up to bat. I think it was the ninth inning, as a matter of fact. It may have been the eighth. I don't know, somewhere around toward the end of the game. And our guy swings and pops up, and it's in foul territory. And the the first baseman is going to catch the ball, and he's going and he's going and he's going and he's going, and he realizes that he's almost to the dugout. 
Now, anybody that's ever played ball needs, you know, you, you remember where things are, and you spot that first before you start tracking the ball. But he's tracking the ball, and he realizes that if he runs and hits that bar, that he'll flip over, and he'll be on the highlight reel all week long, and he don't want to be there. So he looks down, catches where the rail is, and looks up and misses the ball because he took his eye off the ball. Any of you that have ever played ball understand if you're batting and you take your eye off the ball, chances are real good you'll miss it. If you're playing the infield and you take the eye off the ball, one of two things will happen. The ball will run, run through your legs and make you look like a ninny, or it'll hit something and bounce up and give you a bloody lip. Either way, that's the highlight reel you don't want to be on because you took your eye off the ball. First Baptist Church our goal is to keep, the eye, keep our eye on the ball and lift Jesus up. There is nothing more important. We like to come up with easier things to do. We like to come up with other things to talk about. Satan wants to distract us with things that we swear are so important. And they're, if they're not done and if it's not this way, then the world will come to an end. The world will come to an end if they don't know Jesus. We have to lift Jesus up. And the only way that he'll not draw people to him is if we quit lifting him up. And we can't stop. That's the only reason we're here. That's why we exist. And the third point that he gave me was, was from Philippians 3, 7 through 14. That's the one I want you to look up. And I want you to take home with you. And I want you to read it three or four, five, six, seven times this week. Leave it by your bed before you go to bed. I'm finding that it's a pretty good idea to read that right before you go to bed because then that's what's on your mind when you go to sleep and it makes your dreams better. It's very practical, very practical. Philippians 3. But everything, starting in verse 7. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Paul starts that chapter out by saying, you think you're something. You think you're something. Let me tell you something. I know who's something. I'm something. That's what Paul says. Let me tell you why I'm something. You think you did, you did all of this? Let me tell you what I did. And he names out all the things that says that I am better than you. I have learned these things. People wanted to stand at my feet and learn. There are students that wanted to follow me. I was the man. 
but then I met Jesus. And all that stuff doesn't count anymore. Everything that made me somebody special is nothing now but trash. It doesn't count. It's worthless because of Jesus. A wise man said, any conversion is a revolution because what things are gain become a loss. And those that are a loss become a gain. Jesus turns the world upside down. Paul says in verse 8 that everything, not just what used to make him the man about town, but everything, everything, everything is worthless when you compare it to knowing Jesus. In fact, Paul says that everything he's ever done, his reputation, his education, his work, anything he owns, all of his possessions, you name it, all of these things, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. Some books say they consider that he considered it filth. They've cleaned that up because the best translation is the King James and the Christian Standard Bible that uses the word dung. Have you ever fertilized your yard with chicken manure? That's what Paul's talking about. Everything that I have, everything that I own is no better than the chicken manure that you spread on your garden to make your plants grow a little bit better. That's what he's saying here. God reminded me of what I want. He reminded me of what Paul wants and he reminded me of what you want. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to understand him completely, fully, totally. I want to understand what it means, the righteousness from God based on faith. What does that mean? What does it mean? I know how I got saved. I know that I'm a child of God. I know that I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. But what does it mean? How, how deep is that? I want to know he was betrayed in the garden. He was tried and beaten. He, was, he carried his own cross. He was crucified, suspended in space between earth and the sky. I want to know what that means. What does it mean to love somebody so much? Gentlemen, you have said before, I know you have, I've said the same thing. If somebody messes with my family, I would die for them. But we have not been presented with that, and we don't know if we would or not. I want to know what it is to know that I would. That that moment would come where they would say that I'm going to chop your child's head off. Unless you denounce Christ and I stand firm and say, Jesus is Lord. There are people around the world doing that right this minute. I want to know that. I don't want that to happen to me. But I want to understand that. I want to understand the power of the resurrection. Have you thought about when you go to the funeral... And you reach over and you touch that cold, hard body. I don't know what it is about a corpse, but they're hard. Can you think of the power that it takes 
to bring that back to life. Oh, Randy, the Spirit's resurrected. Read Revelation again where it says that the sea gives up its dead. He resurrects all of us. I want to know that. You know what I'd love to be in? What I'd love to have happen? I want to be standing beside Jesus when he called out to Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. And to see that person who has been dead for four days and just a moment before smelled a high heaven like you know when you're driving down the road and you pass roadkill that stinks to high heaven. Lazarus smelled just like that. And in a blink, he smelled just like you. Boom. I want to know that. I want to know that power. I want to experience it. I want to understand his suffering. I watch, I try to watch every year. I try to watch every year the passion of the Christ. I just enjoy the self-inflicting this pain on myself of watching that every year. And I know there's parts of it that are fictionalized, and there's one part in particular that I know is fictionalized, but that's the part I watch it for every year. It's a scene where Jesus has been beaten and he's carrying his cross through the city on the way to Golgotha and he falls down and when he falls the crowds open just a little bit and his mama can see him and his mama flashes back in her mind to when Jesus was a little boy because Jesus was a little boy and she was his mama and she raised him and held him in her arms she loved her child. And he tripped and fell. And like every mama's ever done, she runs over to her baby and she picks him up and she says, Mama's here. And when she sees Jesus fall, she has that play through her mind and she runs out to Jesus and she puts her arms on him and says, Mama's here. And he looks at her with this strong, impassioned face that's covered in blood and has a crown of thorns on his head. And he looks at her and he says words from Revelations. He says, I make all things new. I want to understand that. I want to understand that. I want to understand the power of a man that when you meet him and you're an addict or you're a prisoner or you've got some problem that has you in bondage that when you meet this man something happens inside of you that makes you new and you don't care what anybody says about you ever for the rest of your life because I've met Jesus and he set me free I want to know that I want to feel that I want to understand how that happens I want to see how he can take the love of a broken man and a broken woman whose relationship could never be fixed and yet Jesus gets involved and it is. I want to understand the suffering of a man that can take people who can, who can take people we consider to be human refuse. Oh Randy, we don't do that. Yes, you do. So do I. We see people and the first thought through our minds is why do they even exist? 
Then your Christianity kicks in and you go, whoops, yeah, I know I'm wrong. He takes people that we look at as undeserving, shouldn't be here. And he takes those people and he gives them life again. We gave almost $4,000 to Remembering New. Y'all remember that? Remembering New is, to, is, is an organization that tries to get girls out of sex trafficking. You rescue a girl from sex trafficking that's been abused all of her life. How do you think she'll deal with that? The nightmares will still be there. She'll recoil from the touch of every man that comes near her. Unless Jesus is involved. And Jesus can restore her and make her a woman again. I want to see that happen. I want to understand it. I want to understand my own resurrection. We say it so glibly. I'll I'll die and I'll I'll live again because God, I want to understand that. You do understand you're going to die, dead as a rock. Going to put you in a casket or they're going to put you in in a furnace and you'll be dead. And yet you'll be alive. How does that happen? I want to understand that. We have so far to go. The journey seems so long and so hard. But I'm going to make every effort I can to take hold of it. Not because I'm good and not because I'm strong. But because Paul tells me that Jesus has taken hold of me and he will not let go. I don't care where you are or what you do or where you've been. He will not let go of you. And I don't even understand that. Because sometimes I don't want to even see myself in the mirror. So Paul says, what's past is past. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. And that prize is at heaven. The prize is eternal life. And Jesus says in John 17, 3, when he's praying, he says, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. And I'm praying with all of my heart because I believe it with all of my heart that you want to know Jesus. I believe we're at all different places in our walk with him. And some want it more than others. But I think inside of us, deep down, there's a voice screaming out saying, I love you. I'm going to make you new. I've taken hold of you. And you're sitting there going, I want to know this. I want to know Jesus. There is nothing else. There's nothing better. There is only Jesus. Period. Dear Father, I confess my sins before you. Sins that you know better than I do. I know I'm forgiven. 
But Lord, I'm ashamed for the times that I've let you down, and I don't relish the day of standing before you at the great white throne. Lord, we make all kinds of cute little songs about it, how we'll dance into heaven and we'll run into your arms. But you are a mighty God. And I am a wisp, a mere wisp in history. Oh, Father, be merciful on me, a sinner. Father, be merciful. And Father, the evil one is attacking your bride. Please protect her. She feels helpless before this roaring, ravaging enemy. We need the great shepherd to save his sheep, Father. Come quickly. Come quickly before we faint. Come, Lord Jesus, fill your house with your presence. Holy Spirit, clean out our hearts and fill us with the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We ask you, in Jesus' name, and for Jesus' sake, amen. Now, somebody might say, Randy, you can't just declare everything's all better, and that makes it so, and you're right, but I know the one who can, and that's whose eyes I'm looking for now. I want to know Jesus. I've asked the deacons, and if you deacons would begin to come forward now, I've asked them if they'll all come forward and kneel at the altar and pray. I've asked them to pray that the Holy Spirit will wash over all of us with a holy fear and that he will break our hearts to love Jesus even more. I'm asking any of you who want to come forward to pray with them to come pray. You don't have to worry about being the only one today, the whole room. All the deacons are here. You can come. If you're hurting, come and pray. If you're angry, come and pray. If you're confused, come and pray. I'm going to come and pray. I've asked Daniel and Bo to stand and receive anybody that Jesus has saved and wants to make a profession of faith and wants to make it public this morning. Maybe you want to become a part of a church that loves Jesus and loves each other. We might look like a hot mess for a moment here at First Baptist Church, but we are a family, and families love each other. And we might have a spat every now and then, but that's okay. It'll all be okay. So maybe you're not a member here and you're a hot mess. Well, come to a church that's a hot mess. You'll fit in just fine. We're going to pray. Don't quench the spirit. Open your heart. Come now and pray. Would you stand?